Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA. Allow me to introduce today's guest. All right, inspiring people and places. We are back with another. We, we call our AEC guest kind of the cupcake. This is more of a sprinkle to the cupcake type of guest, but <laughs> necessary nonetheless, and certainly falls into the category of inspiring people. Caleb Campbell is going to join us here. Caleb Campbell and I both went to West Point. He is a 2008 graduate. I am a 2004, so we didn't spend much time together. I think I might have been a grad assistant when he was a stud football player. Long story short, we reconnected or connected a few weeks ago based on a comment I made on something he posted on LinkedIn. So birds of a feather flock together. Sometimes when you comment on things, people come together. He was then speaking at a high school near where our office is here in South Jersey. Got to see him speak to a high school crowd on a topic near and dear to both of our hearts uh, around mental health. And here we are because we connected. We both see the world similarly that leaders, our job as leaders is one to unlock our capacity mm -hmm. and then to help unlock other people's capacity and really understand the emotional well-being and the whole person to create a legacy of success around us. Caleb, with probably too much of a, a introduction, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, and that's a it was a great introduction. Sometimes I can get so angry at social media, and then we have moments like this where a LinkedIn post connected us, and here we are. Here we are. So nobody listening to this, or or maybe a few people listening to this, know about Caleb Campbell's story, and we start every show with what we call discovery, discovering who you are. Before we go back in time, talk to us about who you are today, what you're doing, kind of the, the elevator pitch on, on what Caleb is doing professionally. Yeah, so I spend all of my time working with leaders and working with organizations through primarily keynotes, workshops, and some one-on-one -on -one coaching. And I think right now, as more and more leaders are being asked to do more with fewer resources, so much of my heart, not just because it's my own personal experience, because there just also is a, a, such a need for it right now, is really helping leaders create more inner capacity within themselves and also the teams that they are leading so that they're able to just strengthen resilience, they're able to sustain that high performance, and most importantly, they can enhance their overall well-being. And so primarily through keynotes, workshops, and one-on-one -on -one coaching, that's the work I'm doing. All right. So note to listeners, Caleb is for hire, and, and <laughs> you will see why his story has led to this as his career path. But I, I do want to make sure that everybody understood that you know, you, you're, you're available and, and very powerful message. So talk to us about all of the events that have led you on this journey to become who Caleb is today and, and why you're sharing this message. Going back as far as you think, I, I mean, I heard some high school level impact. So we, we can hit the highlights or we can go all the way back. Yeah. No, I'll be quick with it. I will say though that, you know, 
I think I can't remember if it was Paul Marshall who said, you know, sometimes in order to go for, forward, we first must have to go back. And I remember when I was seven years old, growing up in Texas, I was playing in the high or not the high school, I was playing in the community all-star flag football championship. Again, BJ, it's Texas, you know. And I remember just scoring the game-winning touchdowns. And I honestly think, you know, the only thing that might have been more popular than scoring the game-winning touchdown in a community flag championship game is like if I would have been cast to play Jesus in the annual Christmas school play. <laughs> but this is a close runner-up. And I remember after I scored that touchdown, I scanned the sideline looking for my biggest fan who happened to be my mother. I remember when I caught eyes with her, my legs were tired, but I ran as fast as I could possibly run. I remember getting to her. She bent over and she had this big smile on her face and she just pinched me on the cheek. And she said, son, I'm so proud of you. I love you so much. You scored the game winning touchdown. And in this, and I tell you that story because in this innocent exchange between a mother and a son, and it was so innocent, I, I didn't have to understand what was happening because I felt every word of what she said. And I was seven years old when I really learned to believe that my performance and productivity is the prerequisite to acceptance and belonging in life. And so from an early age, I'm this high achieving, some would say even overachieving, very driven, performance-driven student athlete. And that took me, you know, from junior high to eventually All-State, a couple years in a row, getting inducted into the Texas High School Football Hall of Fame, which eventually led me to West Point freshman year. I'm all-conference. Sophomore year, I'm the number, I don't know, top seven strong safeties in all of college football across America. Junior year, all the conversations are happening around me and potentially getting drafted. Can he play? Can he not play? What's going on here? My senior year, I get the, the privilege of being the captain of the football team. And then I also find myself arguably where every high school football player at some point in time dreams of being. And that's at Radio City Music Hall. When I eventually hear Roger Goodell, the, the commissioner of the NFL, come back to the stage and announce my name when the Detroit Lions selected me in that 2008 NFL draft. And when I got into the NFL, you know, I graduated with 972 other cadets. And the difference between me and them is the majority of them were headed off to war and I was headed to the NFL. And I quickly internalized with a lot of the publicity that I was getting that in a lot of ways, my success in the NFL would be the way that I would give back, right? In a lot of ways, it would be my battle to fight, my war to win. And I did. I came into the NFL with a lot of fanfare and a lot of publicity, but it seemed like no matter how hard I was working, like I couldn't quite get to where I wanted to be. If I'm being honest with you, it seemed like every day I was using all of my energy just trying to hold it all together. I hold together this idea of a man that I thought I was supposed to be, hold together these ideas of a, a man that I thought other people expected me to be, and also just hold together this dream that I had to keep alive. And I bounced around from Detroit, Indianapolis to Kansas City. And it just seemed like no matter how much I did, it was still never enough, right? It was almost like the goalpost to my life continuously moved 10 more yards down the field. And this disparity or this gap between who I wanted to be or where I wanted to be and where I was, it began to almost just really weigh heavily on me, right? Like my whole life, I've been taught to believe if I could just get to the NFL, I could just reach this ultimate experience, I'll finally find the inner peace, the satisfaction. I'll, 
I'll, I'll find the fulfillment or contentment in my life. But again, it was still never enough. And all of my energy was being used to hold it all together. And that began to really take a toll on my overall mental health and emotional wellness. And it got pretty ugly in the NFL as I was really trying to, you know, ESPN called me America's athlete. I'm a West Point graduate. I'm an army officer. And now I'm an NFL linebacker. And I was so afraid at this time to be seen, to truly be seen, right? So I had perfected this image. I perfected this facade. On the outside, everything looked good. It looked great. But on the inside, like, again, I'm barely holding on. And living life like that day after day, week after week, month after month, it it left me the type of tired that more sleep doesn't solve. And I kind of had this realization. I, I knew that nothing was going to ever change until I was willing to change, until, until something in me was willing to change. And that really hit home uh, when I was with the Kansas City Chiefs and I had just been cut. And my agent had called me and told me that, hey, the Falcons want to bring you in for a workout. The Canadian League, they want to sign you to a team. Like, what do you want to do? And I looked at him and I just said, I got to do a third option. And that is, I, I've got to hang up my cleats. I've got to walk away from this game. And I got to go figure out who in the hell Caleb Campbell really is because this way of life, trying to max out my capacity to get the results that I want, but no matter how much I do, it's still not enough. And the distance between who, where I am and where I want to be is eating me alive. And I'm living perpetually dissatisfied. And this dissatisfaction is leaving me feeling so helpless and hopeless. And that despair that comes with that really was a heavy weight to carry day in and day out. And not having the tools or the awareness of how to handle it properly led me to coping in really unhealthy ways. And I kind of knew, I had this brazen realization that if something doesn't change, it's a matter of time before my parents are going to get a phone call notifying them that their middle son is no longer with them. And so when I left the NFL through a strange series of events, I found myself moving to Canada where... I I moved into this, the basement of an organization inside of their boiler room. (laughs) True story. I slept on this little cot. I guess West Point prepared me for this, but I slept on this little cot for the next five years of my life. And every day I woke up and I swept floors, I washed windows, I cleaned bathrooms, I changed lights. I basically worked as a glorified janitor and I did that in exchange for free therapy Because again, I knew that there was, I I wanted to demonize football. I wanted to be mad at football, but I knew that pointing the fame, pointing the finger, placing the blame, deflecting and denying, it was just going to perpetuate this inner war that I was experiencing in my life and nothing was going to change until I was willing to change. And so I, I walked away from everything and kind of pushed pause on my life so I could better understand what was happening internally. And from this place, how can I move my life forward? in a way that doesn't actually compromise my well-being, right? How can I move my life forward in a way that doesn't compromise the relationships that matter the most? How can I do it in a healthy and happy way? And so those five years transformed my life in the most unimaginable ways. And from that, and I just had a couple of experiences that landed me on a stage. And I've kind of been talking about how we can how we can do life in a new way, because clearly this old way of doing things, the striving, the surviving, the white knuckling our way through life, while it has worked and while it has gotten us to where we are today, 
it, it's no longer sufficient. It, it's comprom- it, It's costing us, right? And it's always, it's kind of costing us and it looks a little bit differently. For some of us, it's costing us our relationships, our personal health, our inner peace, our happiness. But at the end of the day, it's leaving us outstretched with no capacity. And when we don't have capacity, man, we can't show up as our best selves. And so out of that season of life, I, I would say I found my passion and my, my life's work. And uh, yeah, kind of that brings me up to where we are today. So I, I appreciate the entire journey. And, and I want to hit on a couple of things because you and I talked, I guess, at lunch. Creating this capacity is not about not striving. It's not about putting ambition to the side. It's not about putting hard work to the side. And I think that that's, that's the conversation that we all wrestle with for our own individual growth and for the growth of those around us. You've got the Bear Bryant mentality of coaching, and then maybe you have the John Wooden mentality of coaching that you know, I didn't experience either, but they feel like they're on different ends of the spectrum. And, and I think that leads to leadership, which is how do you get the most out of people while understanding they've got a capacity and that capacity could be emotional capacity, mental capacity, time capacity, right? We're bad at boundaries while also knowing that capacity only grows by pushing ourselves a little further than we think that we're capable of. So the number one thing I want to hit on today is, is how do we let's hit on that conversation. Sure. Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head. It doesn't mean that we don't work hard. It doesn't mean that we show up, don't show up and, you know, like, and dig a little deeper. It doesn't mean that we don't do our work. We don't put in the effort or the ambition. It's all about the being able to deploy the awareness of understanding the energy behind why we are doing what we are doing. That's what's most important with this. If that energy that I'm showing up with and using to move my life to this next level of success or to move the ball forward down this playing field of life, if it is this erratic, uncontrollable energy that is rooted in fear and scarcity, mm. right? that energy over time is what leads us to survival mode. For so many of us, our ambition is rooted in survival mode. <laughs> Yeah. And we wonder why we're waking up so damn tired despite getting seven hours of sleep. Right? We wonder why we are finding ourselves the type of tired that more sleep doesn't solve. And so I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm saying take a moment to understand why working so hard is so important to begin with. Take a moment to understand what is actually the driving forces behind your life. And this is so critical for leaders. This is pivotal for leaders because I'm sure you can agree to this sentiment as well. We can't lead people where we are unwilling to go ourselves. Right. I can't, we I can't have agree to be, with that. Right. And we have to be able to learn what it looks like to live a more healthy, happy, mentally well, emotionally well life before we can ever actually help the people that we are leading do the same. And so, again, a lot of times, just to go back to this point, as a leader, especially if you're sitting there and you're saying, listen, this mental health initiative, this mental health conversation, sure, it's important. But when I throw it out there, people take advantage of it or they are going to take advantage of it. And it's going to be an excuse for them to not to work as hard as I need them to work to get the job done. Right. And I get that. But even in that statement, there is fear. Deal with that 
fear. And then we can have that conversation. So I've used the, the comparison of, I want people coming to work excited about winning, not afraid of losing. Right. Because it's a different, it's a different energy. Absolutely. And I think that that comes from, it, it certainly comes from whatever, you know, words, culture, environments that we're creating to make people feel like what matters versus what doesn't matter. And, and I want to tie this back to what you were saying about, you know, in that moment that your mom said she was so proud of you, nothing she said was wrong, right? And, but the message it sent was results matter the most. And I just read in Steve Magnus's book, I've made this recommendation before, Do Hard Things. I don't know if it was on something he put on social media or on an article that I think it was an article. I'll, I'll put the link to it because it's what led my wife to buy this book for me for Christmas. He said, the only thing that parents should be saying when they pick their kid up from sports is, did you work hard and did you have fun? There you go. There you right? Go. Come on. All process. Are you enjoying yes. it? And are you having, yes. and, and did you work hard? Because sports are there as a mechanism to teach us to work hard and all of, you know, overcome obstacles, push ourselves outside of our comfort sure. zone, teamwork, teamwork, collaboration. Yeah. Not about scoring touchdowns and, and goals. Those are results. And similarly in business, working hard and being passionate about it is more important than, than the result, which is the profit, right? Profit and I'm speaking to all leaders, including myself, all business owners, anybody that's responsible for profit and loss. Profit and loss is about systems and the results that those systems produce. Systems can be managed. People need to be led. And leadership is about understanding this, this entire whole human, the human capacity. I'm dealing with this live fire right now in our, our business is we're, we're kind of at a capacity. And while we can grow and have demand response, like, oh, we want another project, we can hire up for project for you know, the right type of people to go on those projects. The leader capacity to oversee and develop those future new employees, we're, we're, we might not be at a breaking point yet, but we're close. So I'm, I'm forcing our team to analyze how much capacity do they have in their day, in their week, in their lives to take on more people and what can they be delegating out to, you know, develop other people inside of the organization. And I think, you know, I, I, I'm going to the abundance versus scarcity mentality, which is scarcity says I have to control everything. I can't let anybody think that I need help. Versus the abundance mentality, which is, well, I'm on an elevator, and the higher up I go, the higher up everybody goes. <laughs> when I win, you yeah. Win. Uh, so I, you know, I, I wanted to to kind of humanize that into the business realm. What you're talking about, and then I want to ask you, okay, you were at a breaking point, you were burnt out, you were you were struggling with this, and you just hit pause and walked away. Mm. What have you learned that somebody, you know, I can't, I can't grab a nap. I can't, I can't take, you know, I can't just go on a vacation to fix this. Sure. 
What have you learned that people can start applying now? Yeah, it's a great question. Also, I love everything that you just said, especially around, you know, the systems and then people, you know, systems can be managed. People have to be led. Beautiful. This is why you're the host of the show. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, and so I I can't take a nap. I can't take a vacation. It's got to get done. I hear you. I feel you. I see you. And again, it's not about not doing the work that you have to get done. It's about the energy behind how you do what you do. For so many of us, I call it deficit energy. We live by a deficit energy, meaning the moment we wake up, we already feel behind, right? We're looking at our to-do list. We're managing our time. We're in a rush before we can get out of the house. We already feel that rush happening. And the important part why and why I'm talking about this is the energy that we start with is always going to be the energy that we finish with. And so there's a reason why you wake up feeling like you're already behind and you're now in a rush. And that perpetuates this feeling of rush all through the day. And then you get home at night and you've just had a really efficient day. You've just handled a lot of that's been on your plate. But when you lay your head down to go to bed, it still feels like it's not enough. right? And this is a self-fulfilling prophecy that just keeps piling on and on and on. And the challenge or the problem is, is we try to outwork this, right? When I was sitting in the Kansas City Chiefs locker room and I had arguably the best practice of my NFL career, right? It finally felt like the, my, the football gods were looking down on me. Like finally I was catching some traction. Life was going good. And I remember I was sitting in the film room after having a session with the entire team, and I used to hate these moments because usually it was kind of a a watch Caleb mess up game film, practice film. (laughs) But I remember having arguably the best practice of my life. And sure enough, coach, he would pause it, play after play, Campbell, nice play, Campbell, this is what we're talking about, Campbell, way to hit the hole. And I felt good, right? I felt proud because finally, three years into my NFL career, it's coming together. And I'll never forget, coach, he dismissed the team for the day and I stayed seated. I stayed there for a little bit longer because I wanted to take it all in. But the strangest thing happened, BJ, the longer that I sat there. This feeling of satisfaction, this feeling of enoughness, it began to dissipate. Right Externally, I did everything that was required of me. I didn't just meet expectations, but I surpassed expectations. But internally, it still wasn't enough. And when I had that realization that, oh my God, good enough is never going to be good enough. There is no amount of external work that I can do that it can actually help me resolve this internal chaos that I'm feeling. I can't outwork this. Why? Because it's an illusion. The goalposts to our life are continuously moving 10 more yards down the field. And I say that because a lot of leaders are finding themselves in there. I can't take a nap. I can't go on vacation. Okay, great. But what we can do is we can begin to do a little bit of work on how we can shift the energy behind how you do what you do so that we can move out of a deficit energy and move into a grounded energy so that it actually feels like it was enough so that you can go to bed feeling like, oh, we accomplished something today and we don't have these narratives like this energy creates the narratives. Right? It's still not enough. There's still more to do. People are outworking me. People are going harder. People are going faster. And these narratives are controlling our life. We're a prisoner to these narratives. And so how do we begin to shift the energy? It's simple. T- <laughs> Stay with me because it's so simple. It's too simple. And it's just simply called mindful awareness. 
And it's crazy because once you start practicing, you realize how absent it actually is in your daily life. And it's what all of the great teachers, all of the great mystics, it's what we hear day in and day out, but we just let it go in one ear and out the other because it can't be that simple. And it's, you got to learn how to be present. And mindful awareness, and again, you don't have time for a nap, so I'm assuming that you don't have time to meditate. Great. Don't need to. But mindful awareness is when you wake up, instead of rushing to your to-do list or opening up your phone and looking at your calendar or checking that email, I want you to take a moment and I want you to feel the sole of your feet touching your floor. And then when you walk from your bed to your bathroom or down the hallway to the kitchen so you can turn that pot of coffee on, I want you to think about and feel every step that you take. Don't be in your head calculating the next thing that you have to do, the phone calls that you have to make, the emails that you have to send. Just be present in the moment as you're walking down the hallway. And then when you get to your coffee machine, I want you to feel the texture of the button as you push it. I want you to feel the handle as you open up the cupboard. And I want you to feel the coolness of the mug that you're about to grab. And then I want you to hear the clink sound as you put it on your table. And then I want you to hear the pouring and the smells of the coffee, right? And so it's practicing being present in your everyday actions. Let that be your morning routine. You don't have to carve out more time to go and meditate. This is an active meditation of you learning how to take all of these narratives or these ideas and expectations that are creating this deficit energy and coming back to the present and just being present for a moment. And what this does, it's, it's like building a muscle. It's just like going to the gym. It's a little bit uncomfortable. It's a little bit awkward. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't feel like it's helping. But I promise you set this as a routine. You set this as a practice day in and day out over time. What it's doing for you is it's helping you build the muscle of presence. And the more present you are, the more grounded you are. And when you're grounded, you're not living with that rushed, erratic, hurried energy that's leading you to burnout, that's leading you to the type of tire that more sleep doesn't solve. And so it's a simple practice that I've been engaging in in my life for years and as I look back, it's single-handedly one of the most simple but yet most powerful and profound practices because it's taught me truly how to be present throughout my day-to-day -day interactions. And you can practice it not just in the morning. You can do it at evenings. You can do it during lunch, right? When you walk into your office, right? Just be present when you walk through that doorway, as you set your bag down, as you sit in your chair, as you open up your computer. Just engage with that. Last thing I'll say to this, BJ, is this makes all of the difference between surviving our lives and learning how to participate in our lives. So many of us don't know what that means or what that looks like or what that feels like. We well know how to survive, but we're missing out on life. We have to learn how to participate in life. And it's in the participation of life that we reclaim the agency over our lives. And when we reclaim the agency over our lives, that has a massive and profound impact in the overall wellness of our lives. All right, I've got I've got a follow-on question. So I agree with you everything you just said. I've tried to do numbers of times including meditation whatever. Talk to us about the people that are like, yeah, I've tried that. Doesn't work. I can't do it. And and because I've been that person, so I'm trying to help our audience. That's sure, that's ready too. to like. Me all too. right, these guys are just saying yeah, the same I, stuff. I, you I've didn't heard all this try before. it. Yeah, yeah, you didn't try it. It tried you, <laughs> and you weren't ready for it. 
<laughs> because I think, you know, you said something really important. Well, well, two two parts that have been very applicable to me. One is don't think about everything that you have to do. Just be present to what you're doing in front of you. And two, don't pick up your phone and look at LinkedIn or email or whatever because you've already like started your day in a deficit because you're now reacting to the world instead of creating your world. So I think that those are you know, the two hardest parts. So talk to us about how do people pivot from, uh, one is the activity of like, put your phone away and don't pick it up until 9 a.m. or whatever. But those thoughts don't stop, right? I got so much to do. I got so much to do. I got this running to-do list in my head. For those that have watched or listened to the David Allen episode, Getting Things Done, David Allen calls it ambient ambient anxiety that's just kind of always Mm -hmm. humming in the background. Talk to us about that. That's good. Yeah, I think you've said so much already, especially around just like there's so many different tools and tactics that you can begin to implement in your life to build new habits, right? And when I'm talking about being present, the mindful awareness practices, and I've tried that before and it doesn't work, my God, if you're 35 years old, 40 years old, there's a good chance, 45 years old, I don't know, there's a good chance you have lived life one way. (laughs) Those circuits... And those neurons firing together in your brain are so well behaved and patterned and intimate. Like they are so well like grooved out. Yeah, say it they're like super highways and you're trying to create a They are trail. super highways, right? You are in Germany on was it the Autobahn or whatever? <laughs> whatever the highway yeah. is. It takes time to turn this ship around. Like it takes so much time. And your need to rush, this is just another way scarcity is playing a role in your personal development now, right? Your need to make this happen faster on your timeline is actually the growth that you're looking for, right? It's in the stillness. It's learning how to, okay, be okay with it not working the way that you expected it to work. It's in learning how to be okay with it not turning out the way that you thought it was going to turn out, right? It's in the frustrations. It's in the, it's in the disappointments. It's in the fears that are surfacing as you slow down that are actually the gift. This is how we use life as life's greatest teacher. This is how we can collaborate with life and allow life to become the mirror that is mirroring back to us the belief systems, the thought patterns, the trauma, the the pain that we have to go into and work our way through if we ever want to see and create a different reality. The answer isn't out there, it's in here. And so for somebody that is saying I tried that and it didn't work. That frustration that surfaces or the thoughts that surface as a result of that, it's actually your next step of evolution. This is why coaching is so important because sometimes it's hard for us to see this, right? But if I know from personal experience, and maybe you can identify with this, I tried that, it doesn't work. You know what the thought pattern is behind on, auto, on, on, on repeat is there must, there must be something broken in me. There's something wrong with me. Oh my God. Okay, great. Now I'm getting somewhere. Now I'm getting somewhere because that is highlighting the shame that I have around my identity. It's hiding, highlighting the way that I see myself, right? And nothing's going to change until I change the way that I see myself. And so right there, this moment of frustration actually just mirrored back to me my greatest opportunity for growth. The question is, who do I want to become? 
do I want to lean into this vulnerability? Do I want to face this pain? Do I want to start doing the hard work to change this narrative so that I can come out on the other side differently? Or do I want to say, yep, doesn't work for me. Let's shut it down. Let's continue the way that we always do things. And we're going to use the familiarity of the way that we always do things, even though it's broken systems and it's going to lead to burnout. We're just going to go down that path because I know it hurts, but at least it's familiar. And then in familiarity, there's no vulnerability. Right. And there's also no growth. Yeah. So I'm, I want a disclaimer out there. Our expectation. Sure. All right. There's, there's a lot of people out there that are stressed, have a lot on their plate. The expectation is not that you're going to quit your job today to fix this. No. Right. <laughs> no. It's, it's really, and, and it is about this energy shift. Um, mm-hmm. and I've actually paused writing this book because I think a lot of this is tied into what I was looking to do in the book, which is remind people that there's a mission and there's meaning behind the work that they're doing. So yeah. do it for the impact that you're making. And, and people have heard me talk about this before. You steal the life of, of the value creation and the work that we do, especially in the professional services realm when you minimize everything we do to a billable hour. And I've used my father-in-law's line before that is like, clients used to be people we served. Now the billing systems have turned them into entities that we bill. So we're only worth the billable hours that we're doing versus look at all the value I'm creating for this client or this project in the time that I'm, I'm committing to them. So. I'm speaking specifically to the AE world and the professional services world out there. Like the work we do is more than a billable hour on a, on a timesheet. It's, it's all of the service that we're creating and our organizations, our industry manage our time through the billable hour, but it's not where value is created. So just shifting that mindset, that perspective that like, oh, I'm working for this client, their project is this, that project is going to give this result, safer infrastructure, new tunnel, new hospitality project, new, new utilities, you know, stronger economic backbone to our country at the grandest sense. Shifting that, I think, is, the, is like the number one start of like taking our work from transactional to rewarding and taking it from that negative deficit energy to positive impactful energy. Um, so I wanted to make that point too, is like, there's, there's no, no lack of books and stuff on there that, that can help you go deeper in journaling through like the why. And, and, you know, maybe you have found yourself on a path and like, how the hell did I get here? This isn't who I want to be. And like, you know, you could start a side hustle or start volunteering somewhere if you feel like, hey, I really need to give a greater impact with my time and the energy and, and where I'm spending my time. So those, those are my color commentary to everything Caleb said. Inspiring People in Places is brought to you by MCFA. MCFA is a CVE verified, service disabled, veteran owned small business. At MCFA, our why is to inspire people in places through project leadership. We provide planning, strategy, program management, and construction management support services to a wide variety of public and private sector clients. Caleb, we are switching to kind of rapid fire questions. Okay. So number one, I'm hoping you're a quote guy. Feel like a quote guy. Favorite (laughs) quote. Oh my gosh. Favorite quote would probably have to be from arguably my 
I have so many, but my, my favorite, a spiritual teacher, writer, author, and it's a woman named Barbara Brown Taylor. And she says, it's not the sadness that sinks a person's life. It's the energy a person spends avoiding sadness that sinks a person's life. And I love that quote because it's not just limited to sadness. It's not the stress. It's not the fear. It's not the shame. It's not the pain. It's not the anger. None of those things sink a person's life. What sinks a person's life is all of the energy that we spend avoiding those things. And why I love this quote and why I feel like it's so damn relevant today is that we go through collectively as a people, the number one common denominator that connects every single one of us is that we all experience hardships and pain, brokenness, failures, and mistakes. And what we do so well in our culture, our performance-driven culture, is we take that pain, we take that anger, we take that embarrassment, and we compartmentalize it. And for a lot of us, we use it as fuel. We use it as ambition. We say, just watch and see. I'll prove you. I'll show you. And it works. It really does work until it doesn't. And the reason why it's not sustainable is because it's not actually living as much as it is surviving. And it's actually in our pursuit of more, in our ambition, in our hustle, and in the name of productivity, what we're actually doing is we're actually trying to avoid the hard things that have happened to us in our lives. And it's that avoidance is that that's exactly what sinks our life. All right. I got, I got a comment on that because talking about performance culture, leadership podcast, all of the leaders out there, we behave in a fear-based way. And I've seen it happen time and time again. When something goes wrong, we either are afraid of the result from our higher ups or we immediately overreact to those below us that maybe made a mistake or, or you know, had a failure because of our fear of what's that going to do to my reputation. Ah. And I'm reminded of a story. Andrew Carnegie is sitting in a boardroom and somebody comes in to report that they just you know, had a million dollar mistake. And he talks it through with them in front of the entire board and says, you know, thank you. And out walks the subordinate or the team member. And he, Andrew Carnegie sits back down at the board table and everybody looks at him and says, he just cost us a million dollars. You're not going to, a million dollars. Are you not going to fire him? And he said, I just spent a million dollars training him. Why would I fire him? <laughs> So mistakes and failures, you know, us as leaders, managers, we have to to take incremental risks and allow people to take incremental risks in growing and taking on tasks that, you know, aren't going to sink the ship. But hey, that's how until they're responsible for something and fully responsible for something, they're not going to grow. And when they take on something they've never done before, they're probably going to make mistakes. That's how growth happens. So it's not real. It's coming down also just to piggyback on this is like redefining like this idea of pass fell. Right. Right. And so even like when I say that, when you say that a lot of our reactions as leaders to the subpar performance or the mistakes that the people we are leading, if we're being honest, I bet you a lot of our reactions are not in line with that level of mistake oftentimes because it's not about the mistake, but it's about how that mistake makes us feel as a leader, right? It, we're incompetent. We're not 
as good as we thought we were, or we are now going to be seen as somebody that's not a great leader. And now my fear is dictating my conversation and the words that I'm using to discipline my, my, my team, my employees, whatever it is. It's all about how we feel. And this is why growth is so important because what we just did there as a leader is we just compromised the emotional safety of our culture. Yep. Right. And what happens is, or let's just say it this way, the value add, the immense value add that a emotionally safe culture provides is it on the other side of it is it creates a learning culture. And when you have a learning culture, when people are willing to put themselves out there and know that, hey, if I make a mistake, I might be met with a little a little sternness, but I know they don't see that as a mistake. They see it as an opportunity for growth. Like, man, your people are going to be able to play big yeah. and not play small. And that learning culture that comes as the byproduct of emotional safety, because you have the awareness and the discipline not to react, but to respond from a place of wholeness and groundedness. Man, talk about a value prop. <laughs> totally. And to all the leaders out there, I'm, 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 I'm learning this as we go. I, I mean... <laughs> I I don't want to sound like I'm I'm preaching here. Same. I yeah. you know any employee that works at MCFA I hope knows my heart and what we're trying to do. I'm far from a hundred percent hitting this. I have been known to overreact at times. So my good. apologies to the recipients of those overreactions. I typically call myself out on it shortly after I do it. All right, favorite book, most gifted book. Oh my gosh, my most gifted book is actually it is the 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 Dow, but it's I think I have a copy of it here. It's just like the highlights of the Dow that allow you to read it in a much more efficient way and I gift that to basically anybody that I speak with or any leaders that I work with, they'll get a copy of the Dow. Awesome. If you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, oh, man. who would they be? The Rock. <laughs> All right. I don't know what it is. I have such a fascination with The Rock. Honestly, I will say Jesus simply because I would love to hear, and this might ruffle some feathers. I'm hesitant to say it. I would love to hear how far we've missed the mark (laughs) on his messaging. And then let's go with like, you know, I would say like my, the, the teacher that, has had such a profound impact on my life and helping me do life differently in a new way is a Franciscan priest named Richard Rohr. Richard Rohr. Still alive. Yeah, I would love to have I would love to have dinner with him. You in touch with him regularly? I'm not. My wife, she knows him, but we have not yet met. And so I need to I need to get out to his place in New Mexico and and have a conversation. Sounds sounds great. What do you want on your tombstone? How do you want to be remembered? Hmm. That's good. This isn't rapid fire. <laughs> you know, the first thing that came to my mind is like kind of what do you want on your tombstone? Or if you I know the the other the other version of this question is like if you had a billboard, what would it say? And I don't know if it's on my tombstone, but definitely on the billboard. So we'll say it on my tombstone. And it would be a quote, it would just be a simple statement that says, take the time to grieve. And I don't mean like grieve. And I think a lot of times we think of the word grief and we think about maybe the loss of a loved one. But there's something out there called non-finite grief. 
It's ambiguous grief, ambiguous loss. It's the loss and the grief that comes with unmet expectations and unfulfilled dreams. And we don't actually feel that. We don't take the time to feel that. What we do is we pull ourselves up out of the bootstraps and we move on. And when I talked earlier about deficit energy, I think that unprocessed grief is probably the deepest deficit energy that we live from. And I mean that, just a quick a quick story is a couple of years ago, I was watching the NFL playoffs and it was like two years ago, I think the playoffs were just insane. Like every every game, remember I think it was the, the oh, Chiefs. Oh, the Chiefs, Bills, the back and forth. Yeah, and the Bills back to back, it was that playoff. Yeah. So it might be two years ago. And I remember watching it and I, I was sitting there and out of nowhere, I was in the living room alone, my wife was in bed and I heard of like this audible voice that was like, it's time to move on. Hmm. And I'm like, what the f- are you talking about? <laughs> like, I wasn't even drinking, so I couldn't blame the I couldn't blame the wine. And I was like, move on. Like, I have moved on from football like years ago. What are you talking about? But as I was processing that with my wife and my therapist, and for several months later, I realized that I was still holding on for I was still holding on to the grief that came with me not meeting the expectations around the NFL career that I had or wanted for myself or that people thought or expected me to have. I, I still had not taken the time to fully grieve that I didn't show up the way I expected or that the way people mm. expected. And for so many years of my life, I have been spinning my wheels, trying to build a bigger and better life so that I can go back and be like, Hey, look, I did it. I did it. So it wasn't actually about the value add and the moving my life forward to help other people, but it was about trying to build a bigger and better life so that I could compensate for what was wasn't. And that's what I mean by like take the time to grieve because that shift for me, which took years for me to realize, was monumental because it's the difference between waking up every day trying to prove your worth versus waking up every day knowing your worth. And when that shift happens, man, so many beautiful things come on the other side of it. And so to answer that question in a really long-winded way, take the time to grieve. <laughs> Got it. All right. You get to close us out. I think we yeah. covered a lot of ground here. Hopefully our audience gets a lot of value. But if you could kind of tie a bow around it, share with leaders anything that you think went unsaid or, or has to be reinforced, the floor is yours. Yeah. Yeah, I think when I, I, when I left to Canada or when I moved to Canada and left the NFL, I remember I was engaging with a lot of this inner work that I, I talk about often. And my life really started to change. Like I started to feel more peace, more at ease in my own skin and in my life. It was nice. It was beautiful. But if I'm being honest with you, that whole goalpost continuously moving 10 more yards down the field, that was still real in my life in that season, about two years into Canada. And I was finding myself perpetually dissatisfied. No matter how much inner work I was still doing now, I experienced a lot of changes, but there was still something, a nagging dissatisfaction in me. And I'll never forget, I walked into a session with my therapist and we're having this conversation and I'm talking to her about this and I'm frustrated. And she said, Caleb, can I ask you a question? And I said, absolutely. She says, when it comes to you living a life that you want, feeling satisfied in your life, have you ever thought that it has less to do with what you achieve and more to do with how you treat yourself? And when she asked me this, I laughed at her 
because my entire life has been driven by one narrative, productivity and performance above all else. (laughs) And I have performed and performed and achieved and achieved. But again, no external work, no external recognition, no external success ever actually reconciled this inner dynamic that has left me perpetually dissatisfied in my life. And I remember looking at her with tears in my eyes and I'm like, what are you talking about? And she looked at me, she said, Caleb, I'm not saying again, ambition is bad. I'm not saying that you don't work hard. I'm not saying that you don't go after that next level success. She goes, all of that is good. And this is the point that I want to make. But she looked at me and I'll never forget this. And she said, Caleb, what I am saying is that you are never going to be satisfied and proud of what you accomplish in the life that you have until you are satisfied and proud of who you are. And when she said that, that hit me, right? And that's what I would probably lead or leave for the people and the folks that are listening is that we put so much weight and we put so much emphasis on our productivity and on our performance, which is so critical and so important. But place that equal amount, if not more, also on the health of the relationship that you have with yourself. Because you'll never be satisfied and proud of the life that you have until you're actually satisfied and proud of who you are. Awesome. Caleb Campbell, where can people get in touch with you, stay in touch with you, follow you? Yeah, my website's probably the easiest way to get in touch. I handle all the inquiries that come through. So it's not an agent, not a manager. It's me. It's just Caleb Campbell dot me m as in mike and e dot me and it's just caleb c-a-l-e-b and then campbell at campbell soup uh instagram caleb at underscore campbell and then linkedin caleb campbell. awesome we will put that all in the show notes awesome caleb it was awesome talking with you thanks for everything you're doing to spread this message and to increase the capacity of leaders in all industries my pleasure thanks for having me be here Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants and all your friends and family in the AEC space. Be sure to visit our website, www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter to stay in touch with us and learn about all of the projects and clients we're helping. Last but not least, we are hiring. We are always hiring. Do us a favor. Take a look at what jobs we have open. Contact us through our website or connect with me on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great rest of your week and a great weekend.